On this episode of Writing Tandem, a business, it needs so many. It is like a needy child, mm. it really is. And it's really easy if you don't have team support where everything truly is resting on your shoulders. It's like, well, if I don't do it, then it doesn't get done. And so you can really easily find yourself working, you know, 40 hours, 60 hours a week. And that's just not sustainable long term. Hi there. This is your host, Vivian, and you're listening to Writing Tandem, a podcast that is all things business, entrepreneurship, and the secrets to operating a successful business while still having a life you love. Whether you're a business owner on the verge of taking that side hustle to the next level or just curious about the world of entrepreneurship, join me as I go behind the scenes of my own business and the businesses of others, unpacking some of the most valuable lessons you can apply today. Let's dive in. Welcome back to today's episode of Writing Tandem. I wanted to quote this line that my guest actually sent me today. She wrote me and she said, every business needs to be funded so it can create the impact it's here to make. And Megan Hales, today's guest, and she wrote that to me and I thought, well, obviously. Um, And yet as I thought about it, I was like, this also feels incredibly profound because we're in business to make money So I'm like, okay, yes, clearly. But then as I got thinking about it, it's a statement that can mean wildly different things and can carry very different feelings and emotions and meanings for different people. So I wanted to explore the whole idea of money and how we make it, how we feel about it, how to handle it, helpful tips, um, even just some of the emotions around it that I think come up. And so I knew Megan was absolutely the guest that I wanted to have for this today. So she's here with me today. And um, Megan is a business strategist. She's a money mentor, and I love that line, money mentor, for experienced coaches, consultants, helpers, healers, basically people who are ready to meet their like 250K milestone Mm -hmm. and really focused in on this one key offer, which I'm excited to unpack with you today, Megan. Yes. Um, But we got to work with Megan as well, Michaela and I, and I was trying to remember I I can't remember how we actually met. I think it was like an online meeting. It was a Facebook group. It was a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Okay. I thought Facebook group and then I was like, wait a second. Was it an in-person thing? Because it was like Mm 2019-ish, I want to say. So we met and decided we had to work together. So I'm thrilled to have you here today. I am so excited to be here too. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. A little more background about you. And then we're just going to dive in here. But I think it's important for people to have a a bit of an understanding about your background and where you're coming from as we're talking. Totally. So I met you shortly after you moved here to Omaha area. And now, of course, I'm in Council Bluffs. But I was fascinated, Megan, with your mastery of money and how you thought about it from like a practical approach as well as like this feeling approach too. And as a thinker personality, I really resonated with like the practicality and using like spreadsheets as tools and things like that. (laughs) From the feeling side, I was like, okay, this is a stretch, but I know I need it. And I think a lot of that comes because you have a background in psychology, correct? Psychotherapy, yeah. Psychotherapy. Yeah, that's right. And I think that plays in a ton into your background and then just also how you have unpacked your own business, your offers, and then helped coach so many people through that process. So mm-hmm. um, is there anything you want to add about background and just how you've arrived here and why you've brought those two money and the emotion feeling side together? I mean, I think 
when you go through like any sort of career, like psychotherapy was for me, it's something that you are always going to bring with you because you can't take that education or that perspective or lens outside of your head. So I think when I think about money, it's almost unavoidable for me to ignore the internal experience that we have when it comes to money. We all have our own money beliefs, our own money perspectives, money lenses, money experiences, money mistakes, money traumas, even for some of us. And the idea that that's not going to have an impact on how you're experiencing money or thinking about money or even managing money, I think is an oversight. So I think it's just um, a very natural approach to me, given how, like my, my prior career. Yeah. I think as I've experienced that with you through parts of your programs or, or offerings in the past, that is a huge value that you bring to people. And I'd love to have some of that value unpacked here today Yeah, totally. for, for everyone who's listening. It's one of the things with writing tandem we talk about is we don't on the show know everything. We're more writing alongside or with. Yeah. And um, so I'm excited just to kind of talk through what frameworks look like and and how other people can use pieces of that as well. And then maybe engage with you more. Yeah, totally. I think that'd be awesome. So fill me in a little bit on like highlights of your journey that have helped you arrive around this philosophy outside of you have a, a background mm-hmm. in just how people think and work, right? <laughs> yes. But what about the whole money piece and a business and how did you arrive and start merging those together? Well, I think, I mean, my first entry into entrepreneurship was really having a private practice in psychotherapy. And what I didn't anticipate starting a private practice is that I was really stepping into like a a CEO or what I call an LEO role, which stands for lead executive officer, because there's so much leadership that happens when you are starting and growing and scaling a business. And I think, especially in the field of psychotherapy or any helping profession for the most part, Most of us go through indoctrination (laughs) to some degree (laughs) that you don't get into this field to become rich or to become wealthy. And so there's a sense of martyrdom in that, um, that you're here to be of service. And that's just one example of a money story that is present just in the career field of choice. And I think, you know, other career fields might have completely different expectations. You know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer, that's a profession that can be something that, of course, you're going to go and make a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. But there's also the other side of that where, you know, there are lawyers and doctors that do a lot of pro bono work, and that's not part of, you know, their journey at all. So I think starting to learn about running a business and growing a business and what like sustainability actually looked like, that was my beginning stages of really starting to realize, oh, money is actually, it's really important. And I have a lot of stuff to unpack with this that I have been taught to believe. And the career side of it was just only one piece of it. So with my background, I always look at things through a holistic lens. And when you start pulling a thread, you realize that that thread is connected to all of these other things, kind of like a web. And as I started to explore all of that, it's like, oh, I have family stories here that I need to unpack. I have other social conditioning narratives. I have um, religious and spiritual stories that I'm carrying. And so it became like this really complex web (laughs) of conditioning and ideologies that I really needed to examine of saying, is this my truth? Is this how I want to see money or hold money or think about money? And that really kind of began the journey of 
and I hadn't even heard of the concept of money mindset yet. But when I went into the world of online entrepreneurship and started to make that shift from therapy to coaching, this term found me and I was like, ding, ding, ding. Oh my gosh, I have a lot of money mindset work that I need to do. And so I really poured myself into that. And I think that was the first part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And I think given my background as a psychotherapist and even just doing my own healing work, like I'm not afraid to go down the rabbit hole and like really do some introspection, you know? And so I did all that work. And I had started a new business in the coaching uh, realm. And I knew that there was some disconnect because I was doing all the money mindset work, but it still wasn't making a really big impact with being able to charge more appropriately for my services or um, want what I want without guilt or shame around it and all those things. And so, you know, 2018 was a pretty phenomenal year for me in which I made some strategic and structural shifts to my business that allowed me to earn a lot more, like doubled my revenue, working half the time. And I realized, oh, Money mindset is like one piece of it. It's super important, but also like how we're directing our money, how we're structuring our money to come to us is really, really key. So I think that was kind of the experience of I'm always going to think about the money mindset piece because it's a part of how we're approaching things. But we also have to think about the strategy, the structure, how we're actually like managing it, like money skills and tools. There's a lot of things that go into money. And I think uh, just with my experience of it, doing the inner work first, not really getting anywhere with it, then making these structural changes, that really kind of set a whole new framework for me for how I want to think about it. I think that's one of the like secrets that people go, okay, okay, yes, I'm tracking, but how or what caused the shift to happen? Because we can, I mean, I've definitely been there. I'm learning, learning, learning. Didn't know I needed to learn. All of a sudden, now I know I need to learn. Then these like phrases find you or these concepts find you and you're like, oh my gosh, you dive in. But then taking it from head knowledge to applying, Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes like a moment. Sometimes it happens over time. Like what was it for you? How did you actually leap from or start leaping maybe is the better term? I don't know. Well, I mean, I was forced (laughs) – I was kind of forced to change. I was faced with a really big obstacle in late 2017 when I was getting ready to have a second baby. My partner was going to be deploying for six months, just three weeks after we had him. I still had, you know, big goals and dreams in my business that year. And I think that that really invited me to ask myself radically different questions and be really realistic around what was even possible for myself. Um, More so in the sense of like what's sustainable for me to even commit to in my business because I knew I was going to have so much on my plate. And I remember at that time, it felt like it was just the hugest obstacles. Like I was getting ready to have the least amount of energy, the least amount of time, the least amount of resources. And as my mom would say, I'm very hard-headed or stubborn. I like to think of I myself as determined. I was like, no. So like all these things are going on and I still want. I still want because I had been creating some momentum and it just felt like now is the time to like keep the foot on. But I had to keep my foot on in a radically different way so I wasn't going to burn myself out. Mm. And what that did is it created intentional constraint. And I think – that was the greatest gift that ever happened (laughs) because I had to say, okay, I only have this many hours that I can really commit to. How can I structure my business to fit within those hours 
to make bigger things possible for myself. And so that really led to those structural shifts that really laid a super foundation, like sustainable foundation for me that has radically shifted everything that I do since then. And so that, now that's like the first step. You know, when we get into your business and we get into your numbers, the first thing we're going to look at is time and energy. How do you want this to look? What's the life that you want to live? And how can your business actually provide that from a time and energy standpoint? Because that is going to inform how you like structure the revenue streams, you know? It makes total sense. And having worked with you and had some of these conversations for our own business, I know it's something I'm I'm an extremely introspective person as well. Mm-hmm. I've always thought maybe I should have gone into like therapy of some kind. <laughs> um, but that is one of the things that you challenged us to think about. And I immediately was like, yes, okay, this resonates with me. I've kind of journaled this out a bit before. But now how do I take this and start applying the dollars to it, which is really fun. Yes. But as I got thinking about it, as a for example, I would love to be able to get up at the crack of dawn and work till about 10 in my pajamas, mm-hmm. have a really great workout at about 10, mm-hmm. shower, do client work from about 1 to 3, and be done. Yeah. And I don't want to do anything on Fridays. Yeah. So it was like, as I think about it, like creating those constraints – but I have a dollar amount I know I want to hit. Mm-hmm. So I think a very similar scenario to what you're saying. What hasn't happened, though, is I haven't had the baby to force it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so you have to force it. And I think that sometimes that can be hard because a business, it needs so many th- And it's like a needy child. Mm-hmm. It really is. And it's really easy if you don't have team support where everything truly is resting on your shoulders. It's like, well, if I don't do it, then it doesn't get done. And so you can really easily find yourself working, you know, 40 hours, 60 hours a week. And that's just not sustainable long term for most entrepreneurs because in an entrepreneurial world, yes, you have like, you know, sit and chair computer work, Mm -hmm. but your mind, your brain is having to do a lot of executive functioning all of the time because you're holding so many hats and you're thinking about your business a lot. So I think that that's the other thing is thinking about what sustainable hours look like for you. It's not just like active work. It's like really thinking about all of the things that you're holding and then holding yourself in agreement <laughs> to how many out like if you want to take Fridays off, it's up to you to make sure that you actually take those Fridays off instead of, oh, well, I'll just schedule that one call or, oh, I'll just send this one email or, oh, and that's so easy to fall into. So easy. That's So we did go to a four-day work week. Yes. And it came up because Michaela, my business partner, she does have kids. So it was kind of kids actually in this one that forced it. Um, she has kids plus does foster care mm-hmm. and young children. And she was also a CASA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's advocating for these other kids, even though they're not in her home. Um, on top of we're growing a business, we were running multiple brands at the time. Yes. Too many things, too many things <laughs> happening, too many offers going on. And I'm watching her, frankly, kind of fall apart. She was trying to take like a CPR class mm-hmm. at the same time she was making a presentation. Oh, wow. And she had to take CPR, CPR class like eight times or something like that. Oh, my gosh. Because she couldn't get done. And I remember sitting there. And I also, even without the kids, I was trying to pile more and more on. And could I take that client off and et cetera. And I texted her one day and I said, I think I literally said, this is dumb. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Don't show up on Friday. Mm-hmm. And it was really scary. Yeah. But wouldn't you know, 
Our business has grown. Things have gotten simpler. We make more money and we have more time. Yes. It's crazy. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a, there's a concept called Parkinson's law, meaning that however much time you give a task to take, like that's how much time it will take. Yes. And I think that's how intentional constraint really works is that if you say, okay, I only have a four-day work week, what are we going to do in that time? You're now asking yourself the right question or you're now solving the right problem. So I think that starting with time and energy first is so supportive for money to feel the way that you want to feel. Because a lot of times when we want to step into what I call feel-good money, it's like we want our money to feel supportive for the life that we're having to live. We don't want to have to work ourselves to the bone (laughs) in order to get the money that we want. And even if we are making all of the money, if we're burning ourselves out to get it, What's the point of that? Like now you have no energy to actually enjoy it. And then you find yourself in these golden handcuffs of like, and I'm working 60 hours a week, but I'm making really, really great money. It's like, yeah, but you're not seeing your family and you're not being able to go on that trip. And like you have no flexibility. You have no freedom in that. And that's not what most entrepreneurs want. So I'd love to explore that more because there's a lot out there that says like the phrases, you know, they're on mugs and t-shirts and everything like hustle hard. and, And like there's this mentality of, and I definitely have struggled with this. If I'm not suffering, I'm not doing it right. Yeah, I opt out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about that, though, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs start wired that way or get wired that way at some point. Yeah. Well, How I mean, I think that? it's it's really – it's part of our macro culture, if you think about it. I mean, that's capitalism. <laughs> it's like do whatever it takes to get the thing that you want, and then there's always more to get. So – we do this thing as human beings where it's like, okay, this is the goal and I'm going to get this and then I'm, then I'm going to slow down. And then you get there and you're like, oh, but now there's this other thing that I really want. So then I'm just going to keep on going and keep on going. And so you keep on raising the bar on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for me, when I first started my coaching practice, I realized pretty quickly that I was pursuing other people's definitions of success. And I realized that if I did not shift into something different that was much more grounded, the one I was never going to feel successful. And I was always going to be chasing a carrot because there was always going to be a new carrot to chase. Oh, for sure. And so at that time, I mean, I was, <laughs> I would really define myself. I, I am very still type A. I'm very driven. I'm very ambitious. Um, and, you know, I don't know if your listeners are into astrology, but I'm a triple fire sign, which means like I have a lot of get up and go energy. I'm a quick start on the Colby. Like I like to get things done. And productivity can be a really big dopamine hit for us. And the problem with that is that there's always more to do. And so even like my my husband and I would have conversations around this in the early stages of entrepreneurship. It's like if you don't learn how to contain your energy, how to contain your focus, contain your ambition, you're literally going to burn everything down. You're going to burn yourself down. You're going to burn us down. You're going to burn everything down because that's always like there's always going to – where's the limit? Where does it stop? And so I think for me, a lot of my inner work was really redefining enoughness. And there's like a whole podcast I, I did about the enoughness revolution of how how do we really redefine what is truly enough for us, for us to be happy and content and to see ourselves as successful. And that is work that I still lean on to this day that really allowed me to divorce myself from this idea of productivity to define my worthiness. And I see so many of us getting caught up in that marrying of the two is like, I'm only worth what I was able to get done. And this shows up a lot when it comes to motherhood, like parenthood, like all of those things, like there's so the to-do list, the to-do list. And that's how we measure 
our success, right? Mm -hmm. So I think I had to really opt out of redefining success for myself. It's not just about doing. It's also about like who am I being and how, what am I experiencing? And if I don't have balance within those things, then it's going to be off kilter and I'm going to be hustling, hustling, hustling for what? And I think that there's so many of us, like I, I think about it when I was doing this in our work, I was working with a therapist at the time and I was like, I feel like I've just been in this fast moving river where everyone's swimming at 90 miles per hour and we're all looking at each other like, where are we going? I don't know. Just swim faster, right? <laughs> it's like, but we're never getting anywhere. Like, we're just going to be doing this forever. It's like a rat race. And I thought, I just don't want to do that anymore. I don't like feeling the anxiety, the stress, the overwhelm, the never enough, you know? So that there's got to be more to this than that. And so I stepped out of that river and I realized like there's actually this slow moving stream. There's awesome inner tubes. There's like umbrella drinks, you know, <laughs> and you're still getting to the place you want to go. It's just at a much more sustainable pace. I like that. I, I It's funny you say about the swimmers. I just watched this movie, total side tangent here, uh, Netflix, of course, right? Yes. Feeds you the great things. And it was about two women, young women trying to be athletes, so Olympic athletes, rather, They're, they become refugees, though. Yes. Okay. They, yes. yes. Okay. Syria? Yes. Syria. Yes. yes. You've seen this. Well, I haven't seen it, but I've seen it advertised on Netflix. I'm like, oh, that looks good. It's really good. It's interesting because some of the things you're talking about is expectations others place on us, then how life gets, I mean, in that situation, super crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, when you have to leave your country. Oh, yeah. Swim across the ocean. I won't, like, spoil it or anything, but... Part of the training that the one sister does, she gets in a tank and goes nowhere. Yeah. She's just swimming as hard. I mean, when you're, when you're training to be an Olympic athlete, you're swimming hard, right? Yeah. And so it just made me think of that of like, oh my gosh, what if you're not even in a pool? What if you're literally in the training tank and you're just like swimming like crazy and, you know, it just has the resistance coming at you? That was the picture that came to my head. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really hard dichotomy, I think, because... Most entrepreneurs I know, like we're we have big visions or visionaries. We see all the things that are possible. And I think as we start to build our skill set and we start to experience success for ourselves, like, oh yeah, like even that bigger thing is totally doable, you know? And I think the the hardest part is finding this space where all of that ambition, that drive, that big vision gets to also coincide with we're going to do all of these things at a very sustainable pace for us to maintain. That is hard for most of us mm -hmm. because we just want what we want when we want it now. But it's like you, if you have this these constraints of like, I'm only going to work, like I only work from 10 to 3, you know, Monday through Thursday. Sometimes I'll work Fridays if I need to, if I'm in like a launch where there will be seasons of higher output for sure in entrepreneurship. But I've had to get really realistic of like what my timelines are of like, I am only working from 10 to 3. And so what that means is that something that might take two weeks if I was working 60 hours a week is now actually going to take, you know, four weeks mm -hmm. because I'm going to honor these boundaries for myself. And so it's it's kind of like a give and take. <laughs> and you have to trust that it's going to get done in the time that you give it. What have you experienced doing that? Like, have you ever felt terribly disappointed that it took three times longer? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> I think like as most humans like we want what we want when we want it, you know? And I think a lot of times things take longer. I think there's two things. Like I think one things take a lot longer than I think 
that they're going to take. And I've even like, I don't know if I'm ADHD, but I do know enough ADHD entrepreneurs where that happens to be like it's time dysplasia, like where you have a wildly unexpected um, timeline or time frame, which you think a task will take, and then it ends up taking like twice as long. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something that you have to learn about your own creative cycle and how long like one task do take and also buffer in additional time in case it does take longer. So then that way you're managing that disappointment of like, oh my God, this is I this is supposed to be done by now. It's like, well, that wasn't a realistic goal anyway, right? <laughs> like, so I think it's it takes a lot of practice. It's still something I'm learning of like, how do I guesstimate realistic timelines? for how long something is going to take and doing it in the way that I like and the pace that I want to approach it. Yeah. And that clearly, I mean, plays a lot into that self-awareness piece and being okay with just saying, I'm a slow whatever, or I'm a fast whatever. And now I'm going to stack those blocks in a realistic way. And so often, I mean, the whole idea, right, of insanity is repeating things expecting a different outcome mm-hmm. and entrepreneurs I mean we are a little insane mm-hmm. and I love it yeah I love to be the, but also why why do we do that to ourselves we know we've been in business for x number of years or months or however long it's been we know how long that's going to take yeah just mark it on the calendar as such I know. It's I think hard. I think this was like we don't want it to take that long, and yeah. so we resist it. It's like it doesn't. doesn't not this time. It won't be this time. It'll be different. And we're like, no, it's not. Just like yeah. be truthful with yourself on on the get go, and you'll be better off in the long run. But I, I do think the thing that I've learned is, you know, especially during the enoughness work, it felt terrifying for me to slow down. And in fact, the the assignment that my therapist gave me at the time, he said no goals for four months. Wow. No goals. And I was like, who am I without a goal? And so I realized that I was so over identifying with who I was becoming that I was less identified with who I already was. So I think that that was one, (laughs) totally the right (laughs) homework exercise for me. But the thing that I learned is that the slower I go, the faster I'm actually able to create results because I'm not working from a place of frenzy. Mm. It's slow, deliberate, focused, intentional action where I'm giving myself the space to really like connect the dots in my brain and really produce the best work. And that's the thing that actually like creates the speed and you don't have to go and redo it. You know, (laughs) you're doing it right the first time, hopefully. Yes. I love it. And it definitely resonates. Again, so much resonates for me where I was like, oh my gosh, what would I do without a goal? Oh yeah. I'm so goals driven. Me too. I I mean, it was terrifying. Yes. I enjoy them. Yes. Other people are like, oh, I would never set a goal. And I'm like, why not? It's so fun. Yeah. But it also can be stressful. Yeah. I think, you know, goal setting, this is kind of timely at the beginning of the year. Goals have like radically shifted for me. It's not necessarily about, um, you know, of course I have like revenue goals. It's like a huge part of the work that I do. But once the goal is set and there's a meaning behind it, it's personally relevant and meaningful for me. Then I start focusing on like the work that actually needs to happen for that goal to be real. So it's much more around like the minutia of like, okay, if I want to get to this amount of revenue and I know how I'm going to get there, what are the things that I actually have to do that that make that possible for me? And so I see my goal as not really the getting to the end result. It's like, because the, the end result is not really totally 100% in your control, right? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But the thing that is in your control is like what what actions can you take towards that goal? Those are the things that are, are actually within our control. And so that's what I really focus on now. Do you ever have goals, money goals specifically, that you change 
Have you ever like done a radical change where you're like, okay, I set a dollar amount eight months or a year or two years, whatever it is, and you do get into it and you're kind of in those steps along the way and then like realize that the goal is wildly off. Has that ever happened? No, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, mostly because, I mean, you've been through the money map. So like we do a lot of work around one, knowing how much it costs to run your business, how much it costs to run your team, how much it costs to live your life. And so those are very, I mean, unless any of those things change, which they can, you know, if we lean out our business, that's going to adjust the cost. Or if we lean out our life and that will, or we add expenses, you know, um, those numbers can definitely fluctuate, which will then Im impact your overall revenue goals. But I think we also do a lot of work around, you know, thinking about your money motivators. Like, why do you want, like, what are your personal money dreams? Like, what are the things that you want to provide for yourself and your family? And then we create a priority hierarchy of like, what's the most important to you? I think the only time that I would really change a goal is if I realized that I was pursuing a money motivator that actually wasn't really important to me. It's like mm -hmm. I was doing this thing because my ego wanted it or I was doing it because I thought it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. That's probably when I would change a goal. But that doesn't happen too often because we, we do that work, you know, from the get go. That makes sense. And I but I do love the reminder of if someone does go through a large life shift oh, or yeah. a large mindset shift, that it's important to maybe revisit it. Oh, we revisit our goals all the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Because sometimes I feel like I've had that happen. The dollar amount doesn't shift a ton, mm -hmm. but the motivator has shifted, you yeah. know, slightly. Or it's kind of shifted into a slightly different category. So, it, it, you know, it will change things slightly, but. Yeah, I mean, I think what I find with most of my clients is they're not really money motivated. Mm. They're motivated with what that money is going to provide. Right. So staying connected with those things that really light you up, that really add to your life. And of course, the money that's going to fund that, that's really like where the magic is for a lot of my people. And so let's say one of your goals is I want to be able to buy a farm. And this is a goal that you and your partner have, for instance, but then you go through a divorce and you're like, I don't actually want that farm. That was like <laughs> their dream anyway, you know? Yeah. And of course, we're going to adjust our money goals um, to be more aligned with the life that you want to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about, because you've mentioned this in the past, you mentioned it a bit um, prior to us jumping on here, but just that idea of like, it sounds like a lot of healing, thinking, um, self-awareness, self-work that mm -hmm. needs to happen. But I know you've talked about like, you don't necessarily have to stop everything yes, and do all this healing and yes. then jump it. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so... I think in my industry, which is like the online coaching consulting industry, there is a lot of noise out there that if you're not making the money that you want to make, it's because you haven't done the healing work first. Mm -hmm. It's a mindset block. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. And I think the reason for this is like when we get into your numbers – and we look at all of the, the revenue streams that you have in your business that can help you reach those numbers. And we realize actually you're offering 9 million things. There's no way that you – and you're feeling energetically depleted and scattered and all this. We realize actually something needs to, to change in the business model for this to feel a lot easier and a lot more focused where you can actually start creating traction and momentum. So 
when we have the right structure in place, we know where to focus our attention and our energy. It's like we have to make sure that the structure and and business model is there first and foremost. Then from there, that's going to inform your price points for your offers, your sales goals for your offer, like all of those like variables that we need to dial in that then informs your strategy and like all. So we reverse engineer the whole process, right? Mm -hmm. When all of that is dialed in and you know exactly what you need to do, right? One, you might be able to make that happen just like that. Mm -hmm. You might already have the audience for it. Like you just have to invite people into this new offer, whatever that is. And everybody will have a different situation. But I think the thing that happens is let's say that you realize you need to double your price point for this to truly be a sustainable offer for you. Sure. And then you're like, oh. Freak out. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to pay that, right? Like all now yeah. all the money mindset stuff comes up. Mm-hmm. That's where the healing work can really kind of partner with the strategy. The Your business is going to talk to you. It's going to tell you what it needs. And whatever resistance comes up around you giving your business that, that's when we can have the, like that laser focus, like inner work piece. Instead of just saying, you need to do money mindset work. Money mindset work is so incredibly layered and nuanced. Like there is a lot of things that go into that. Like all the different types of conditioning, like I mentioned in the earlier episode, which will take years, right? Mm-hmm. Versus saying, I need to double this price point. I know that's what I need to do for my business. What's my resistance around that piece? Then doing that focused work that allows you to overcome that hump and then take that step and then you'll have more money. And then you might feel wildly uncomfortable receiving more money. Okay, cool. So now let's unpack that, right? So allowing your business to inform the the healing work is way better than trying to do the healing work and then trying to, to earn more money. That makes a lot of sense in that you're truly pinpointing exactly what comes up because you're going to feel it bubble up in the moment mm-hmm. and you can't deny it then either, which I that's one of the things I thought was like, okay, so now you can't deny it. Like it's right in front of your face. Mm-hmm. But I can also see for the overthinkers like me, I'm not wasting my time working on these mindsets that I might not even really have. Oh, yeah. There's times where I think I have a mindset and then I'm like, actually, I don't struggle with that at all. I just thought I was supposed to struggle with that. So now I've been working on this thing that I thought I was supposed to be struggling with because it's in everybody's face, right? Like everyone struggles with this. Okay, well, then I must struggle with that too. Let's fix it. And sometimes I get into it and I'm like, I'm not struggling with that. Yeah. Yeah. That happens too. I think – you know, the fascinating thing about money is it's so connected to so many other things. Like I was just talking to a client the other day and they're they're wanting to give themselves more space and time. But it's like, I feel like I need to do the most of the least because that's like the conditioning, right? Like mm-hmm. I just need just enough and just enough is all I'm allowed to have because it's creating this, this struggle, this starving artist mm-hmm. feeling, right? The martyr. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what impact do you think that's having on your money for you to experience more than enough money if you're not able to give yourself more than enough time? Like everything, the dots really start to connect. So if you make one shift with money, it starts to impact other areas of your life. But the same is true. If you make one shift in this other area of life with time or energy or support even, right? So many people have trouble giving themselves more support. It's like, I have to do it all on my own. Who told you that? Where does that story come from, right? You're creating all of this stress and pressure for yourself when their support is right there. Mm. Why not give that to yourself, right? Why don't want to spend money on that? So you don't want your money to support you. (laughs) You don't want your money to nourish you. Like it starts to like really, it's like an onion, right? Of like, 
let's look at how all of this is connected. So that's why it's like so fascinating to me and so profound. Like when you do money specific work, it really does have an impact in so many other areas of your life, even like your relationships, your marriage, uh, trips, vacations, you'll go on like all these different types of things that you're willing to now give yourself because you have a more supportive relationship with money. I think that's an interesting shift. And having known you now for a while and watching your social media, and it takes me a minute, right? Where I'm like, wait, what are we saying? I said this to my yoga instructor the other day, um, Alona, who actually was on an earlier podcast about travel. And I'm in yoga class and afterwards I was like, so I've been coming to these classes for I don't even know how many years now. And it just suddenly hit me in the past couple months She'll say it all the time, like, are you taking the support you need? And I've literally been sitting in this class like, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> like, do I need a pillow? I don't know. Do I need a pillow? I don't know if I need a pillow. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm a smart person and mm-hmm. I don't know if I need a pillow. Yeah. And it just hit. And that's been the past couple of months of thinking of that. Same with money. Or the other thing she says is be gentle on yourself. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not beating myself up yet. And I was like, oh. I'm beating myself up Mm -hmm. by not taking a pillow when I want a pillow. I'm cold. Why don't I cover myself up with a blanket? I don't know. And so I've thought about that a lot with money and the way that you've presented that. And it has taken through my thick skull (laughs) so long of listening to Megan Hale say, (laughs) your money supports you. And, you know, and what what do you, how do you want your money to support you? Like you've literally said it so many times. And I've thought, no, I work for my money. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, no, I don't. Yeah. The money really is meant to support me. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to support the money. Yeah. So thank you for that. And it has taken me forever to understand. Well, I think that's why it's like so helpful to, one, work with other people, Mm. but two, to hear the same thing over and over again. I think so many of us, especially as content creators, it's like we need to create new content all of the time. It's like you really don't. Like you just need to say the same thing over and over again in different language because that's how your audience, like they're they're going to have that moment where it's like, oh, the light bulb goes off, right? Like she said this nine million times and now, mm-hmm. oh, I get it. I see it from this new perspective now, right? And so then once that thing clicks, now you have so much more awareness of like, yeah, how have I actually – like because the thing that we so often do with money is we say, well, I can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Really? Like is that true though, right? Or are you choosing to put your money in other areas instead? Or are you saying, well, if I do this thing, then I can't say – if I spend it here, then I can't save this. So I really – I can't afford that. It's like what, what would happen if you actually chose to allow your money to support you in this way that then allowed you to make more? And then you have both of these things. So it's really fascinating the way – I mean, the I can't afford it is not a phrase that I say. It's not one that I say to my kids. It's not one that I say to myself. The very rarely is that true. I'm choosing to do something different with my money. And that feels so much more empowering to me. Mm-hmm. I like that. And especially I think of it for the new business owner or the person who's not a business owner yet is really the way I should say that. Who's like, I want to be. Mm-hmm. I want to leave my job. or I want to shift into this thing or I want to re-enter into a career and I want to create it myself. I think there's a lot of that I can't afford to mm-hmm. that comes up. Yeah. I can't afford to lose my benefits. I can't afford, you know, my paycheck cut. Like, and I think of that all the time. What makes you think you're getting a paycheck cut? Mm-hmm. Like we have this mentality of if I start a business, I will take a cut in pay. Mm-hmm. Who said that? Like who wrote that story? Because yeah. what, what if your paycheck doubles? 
Yeah. Or triples. Mm-hmm. Or what if you don't need that insurance because now you can pay for the insurance eight times over? Yeah. You know, so it's just an interesting thing to think about. Well, I think entrepreneurship really comes, like, <clears throat> there's a lot of risk. With entrepreneurship is how most people perceive it. Mm -hmm. But there's also different ways of thinking about the risk that you have at a job because, like, you could be let go at any time. It's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, there aren't very few guarantees in this world. So I think it's just choosing the type of risk that you really want to take. And I think entrepreneurship, I mean, it requires you learning a lot of new things. And it, a lot, it requires you to trust yourself immensely mm -hmm. to make the right decisions at the right time. And that's going to be a learning process. Like you're going to make tons of mistakes. You're not going to know everything. You're going to have to figure it out as you go. I mean, so much of building a business is honestly like building the airplane while you're literally flying it. Yes. <laughs> and that can feel terrifying for people. So I think that's why, you know, nervous system regulation work is so key. Like how can you hold yourself in that discomfort? How can you really ground yourself, create that sense of internal safety that, yes, there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of uncertainty, and you're okay at the same time. And you can figure it out. And you can find the people that know the things that you don't know. Like, you don't have to figure it out all on your own. But that's like a whole nother conversation. With <laughs> I was just going to say, I was like, what, what did you call it again? Nervous system? Nervous system regulation. Regulation. So mm -hmm. that's something you can learn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the work that you're doing in yoga right now, mm -hmm. that's part of it. You're learning to tune into your breath. You're learning to slow down all of your internal processes. You're learning to tune into all of that feedback that your nervous system is giving you. I'm sure there's times when you sit down on your mat and you're like, I'm really anxious right now because mm -hmm. your nervous system is activated, right? It's giving you that feedback of like something's going on. I need to be worried. I need to be concerned. I need to be fearful. But the longer you sit and you breathe and you're steady and you slow everything down, your nervous system starts to relax too, right? Of like, oh, it's okay. It's safe. And that's really what happens when you're learning to – like when you're doing like mindset work or working through anxiety or depression, whatever that is, your nervous system gets in these like habits where it's using – it's used to feeling unsafe. And so you're, you're learning to teach it to – be okay. It's safe. You don't need to be activated right now. Yeah. I think a big part that helps me with that is morning routines. Oh, yeah. Structure is huge. Yes. Like starting out the morning slowly, mm -hmm. which is a little hard because my brain is firing like crazy in the morning. But it's one of the things I've worked hard on and I think has helped me be more successful in our work mm -hmm. is not racing into the studio, not flying about in the morning, yeah. but just like easing in and I journal and I pray and I think and that's when I read and so I let the cat sit on me. I have a cup of tea, mm -hmm. but it also requires me to get up at, for me, at about five or else I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the so day early. is over. I've tried to be an early person forever and it just doesn't work that way. I wake up when my kids get up. I have what I call slow coffee every morning mm. when I just like give myself all the time that I want to drink my coffee and then I mosey about my day. I go to the gym, come back, start my work day fairly late, like 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. Then I take a break for lunch, <laughs> like not too long into that. And that works for me, but I have found, you know, because I, I live with anxiety. And so a lot of that has been learning how to manage that mm -hmm. and the structure of the routines, the slowness, really, really supportive. And then also really challenging any concepts that I have around time scarcity mm -hmm. because my anxiety, oh my God, it loves to tell me 
there's not enough time. There's not enough time. You got to hurry up. Got to hurry up. So a lot of my work is like really resisting that of like, no, there's plenty of time. I get to choose how I move. Slow equals fast. Yes. <laughs> my little mottos that like, you know, keep me going in the way that I want to move. Yeah. Repeat again for mm-hmm. sure. I'm curious too, as you're, as you are just moving through your journey right now, mm-hmm. you've had a lot of changes. Yeah. Like the past, we were talking about that before we hopped on here. But I'd love if you're willing just to kind of unpack what are you doing right now? Where are you going? What are things that have happened? I know you had your live event. That was last year, correct? Was yeah. That summer led my first or? conference back in April, April of 2022. I think, you know, so much of my – so I started – it's like probably my eight-year – business anniversary in like a couple of days. By the time this episode goes live, it will be officially eight years. Congrats. Thank you. And I spent the first, you know, four years of my business really thinking, like really focusing on a lot of the inner work that allows us to show up and pursue our purpose bravely in the world. And then when I started doing so much money healing work, that informed a whole other body of work. And that's where, you know, the money map came from and all of my calculators and understanding sustainable business design and all of those things. And so I think this, where I've arrived to now is actually building, like bringing those two things together. Mm -hmm. And so my work moving forward is, yes, we'll still focus on the money pieces, but really helping people build their body of work and what that really means. So building out their, their philosophies, their, their intellectual property, their ideas, their Mm -hmm. wisdom their unique methodology of how they're going to help people get results. And so that has been a really big transition for me lately because I've started building out a lot of curriculum. And so my business, like the way that I'm experiencing my day-to-day has greatly shifted Mm. (laughs) because I'm not – I'm doing so much behind-the-scenes work and kind of feeling like balancing the the behind-the-scenes with needing to do the forward-facing marketing And the reason that's relevant to all of the other changes that I've been going behind the scenes is because anytime you have like a really big body of work that you're building, it's like writing a book, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe even writing several books (laughs) by the time I get done with it. You're also navigating all of these other life shifts and stressors. And so I think ever since I've been an entrepreneur, I've been a mom to two young kids. My youngest just turned five. And so that feels like a really big milestone. Like they're both in big boy school next year. And I'm also an active duty military spouse. So my partner is always leaving and coming, you know, to go on missions and things like that. And so I think balancing motherhood and being an active duty military spouse while also having, you know, a high output journey in my business right Mm now is a lot, but I've also always I've never known anything but that. Yeah. So the last time we talked, I was kind of like, oh my God, I'm getting ready to leave my first conference. I am going through a launch. My husband's gone. I'm like on my own with the kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, ugh. and then those weeks, it's like it does feel like a lot. But then it, you just work your way out of it and it's just part of it. Yeah. And you've brought team on. Is this the first you've done that? Yeah, I grew the team this past year. So I ended up, I've always had like, well, I won't say always, but I've had one team member who's worked with me for two years now. And she's like my right hand. Mm -hmm. She does so many amazing things uh, that helps the business just function on a day to day. 
But one of the things that I wanted to move into was bringing on more coaching support for my clients and then bringing on more marketing help um, because I just can't do all of the things all the time. And I made that transition earlier last year and was planning on moving into um, additional launches, bringing on more clients, and that that ended up not happening. Um, Just everything that I had on my plate, it just wasn't a sustainable timeline for me. So I had to kind of scale back. So I learned a lot around, one, the hiring process, how long that really takes, and especially the onboarding. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to take some energy to really, like, allow somebody else to learn all of the things that you – because you've built the thing from the ground up. You know how everything functions. You know all of the values. You know all of the content. You know your ideal client. You you know all of the things, right? Definitely. And now you have to teach somebody else that, and they need to learn it. And that took a lot more time and energy than I was anticipating, which put me in the weeds really quickly. And then also figuring out, like, staffing needs for your client roster, like how many coaches do you need for based on how many clients and how can you anticipate when you need to hire based on when you expect more clients. And it's just so much learning just in that alone, Mm -hmm. but also something you can't really know until you go through those growth edges, you know? So ended up hiring and then I had to let people go because like we, we pushed out timelines and all of those things, which was hard, uh, hard conversations, hard leadership decisions, and you just have to, you know, practice grace and compassion with yourself like you're just a human being figuring it out. And then you know you know better or you have more data to go off of next time. Yeah. That's the piece that I think is so valuable to remember is that it it can be frustrating or disheartening or not just not what you pictured. Mm-hmm. But the learnings are so valuable and you can't – there's no way to manufacture those. You can listen to podcasts, you can read books, you can talk to mentors, they can tell you their stories, but until you allow yourself to go through it, and the um, the previous episode I was talking with Marianne here, um, Chance, and we were just talking about fear, mm-hmm. and she was saying, you know, everything you want is on the other side of fear. It mm-hmm. really is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing that's going to serve entrepreneurs, like, the best is just to have a learning growth mindset, to always be learning, to always be growing. And in that, growth is not usually comfortable, you know, <laughs> having to do things that we haven't done. And I think the other thing that is challenging around business, I mean, my value set anyways, is I always say we're human first, always. And so that means that if your mental health is struggling, you you push back. You don't go into that launch. You don't add one more thing to your plate. You say no, not right now, right? And that can dictate sales. It can dictate revenue. It can dictate timelines. It can dictate all kinds of things. But if you're not taking care of you, then you're going to, I mean, so much relies on your well-being, you know? Sure, yeah. If you've ever been in a place trying to run a business when you're really not okay, it's the hardest thing to do. And so I think the more you can honor yourself, honor your capacity, honor what you really need in any given season, if things have to change and rearrange, that's what is going to have to happen. And it's, that's hard, you know? So I think, you know, business, especially when you're bringing on team members, like it's just, it's an added responsibility because now, you know, somebody is counting on you for revenue. And what if that, that changes? And it it's just, it's not black and white, you know? Yeah. But I think that you have to think about the business and what it needs and say, okay, from, like if I keep all this team on, one, they don't have the work that they need to do. 
So that's not going to be fulfilling for them because now they can't have the impact that they want to have in your organization. Mm -hmm. And then from a cash flow perspective, you you literally, like the business cannot continue to pay for support that it's not really needing or uh, using. So those are some hard decisions that you have to make. But I think as you make them and like you'll get comfortable making those decisions and it's not, it's not personal. It's just you have to honor needs and you have to honor capacity and all of those other things. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things, and I say it all the time on here, about being a business owner is one, the growth, it's a personal growth plan. Oh, yeah. Like accelerated. Oh, yeah. And two, you just get to have such, if you choose it, you get to have such great impact as a leader because if you're leading a team or you're leading in your community, there's opportunities to lead in your community in different ways or you're leading in your industry so those two things together, but they can be very uncomfortable at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the other thing is you're usually leading in public, too. Mm. <laughs> so that can, you know, add some additional vulnerability to all of it. But I think, you know, if you're really clear on your values and where you're making decisions from, even in the hard ones, it's like you know that it's the right decision to make. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that really it just holds me. It guides me. Yeah. So that's one of our, it's actually how we started the podcast out was with core values mm-hmm. for your business and personal both. Mm-hmm. And they come up a lot because it really does. So I love that you tied that in too of, I mean, they're called core values for a reason. It is the core. And if you can come back to those and that does help you set your goals around your money or set your goals on not having goals, whatever that needs to be. If you can come back to those, it just makes decision-making so much easier and can help you ease through some of those more difficult decisions. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's no <laughs> there's no game plan for your business being successful in this world because no one's had your business. Mm-hmm. No one's been you growing this business. Yeah. And so you have to learn how to trust yourself in making, you know, the right decisions for you. And there's no way that you can know what is right if you don't have a North Star that's guiding you. So – and I, I also think like doing some self-work of like really understanding yourself is really key. So like taking assessments and personality inventories and things like that, I think can give you a little bit of a lens. Like for instance, one of my like human design pieces is that like a one of my lines, if you're familiar with human design, is the martyr. And when I first learned that about myself, I was like, oh, my gosh, do I just, like, you know, <laughs> lay on the floor for other people? That's actually not what it means. It means that I am willing to take the risk to go out and find the thing and then bring it, bring that wisdom back for others. And so it really allowed me to see that me being willing to learn in public and to lead in public is actually part of my personality. It's part of what I'm here to do. It's, it's one thing that I really add to our society. So I think that that can be helpful is just seeing seeing how some of those things need to also show up in your values. So my values are not to tr- traditional values, and I'm sure that doesn't really surprise you <laughs> knowing me. But like human first, LEO second, that's that's a company value of mine. Like we're always going to honor capacity first. It's not about the task that needs to get done. It's about how are you? How are you right now, first and foremost? But also um, transparent leadership and being willing to learn in public is also a core value because otherwise – you will keep yourself <laughs> kind of stuck in that sense of I'm I'm scared to go and do this because what if I mess it up? What if I screw it up? Like 
you're going to. Right? Like, how can you create safety around that that allows you to take that imperfect action? Because that's how things really get made and done. Yeah, I love that. So many things that we could explore. I know. So many good topics. So I, I've been asking this question a lot more, and I was really excited to ask you. Ooh, what is specifically. it? Specifically. Just thinking about how we shape our world through our businesses, mm-hmm. we can have such impact, and that can be good impact, and it can be poor impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we choose. So the question is, what do you think business owners can do, or if you'd rather take it, just humans can do to make the world better? Oh. I know. It's a big one. Well, I think, I mean, personally, I think the culture that you're creating inside your company gets to be whatever you want it to be. How can you make that more human-centric? Because I think capitalism tells us that it's around profit over everything. And a lot of us are imprisoned by that. We're imprisoned by productivity. We're we're doing all of these things that actually minimize, you know, our well-being and our connection. And we have such a rich opportunity to redefine that for ourselves and our companies and to take a stand for that. I also think when you are shaping culture, you need to also be bold about that and verbal about that so other people know because whether they're a client of yours or not, you're an example of what could be possible and that can ripple out in lots of different ways. I also think from a financial standpoint, I'm really big on baking a give back into your business. So the 2% pledge is really that initiative of taking 2% of your revenue and giving it to organizations that are creating the type of change that you want to see in the world. I think that that's a really, I'll say simple way of making a bigger difference, but it's really like the culture piece, the values piece, those things kind of have to be dialed in first. Well, I guess that's not really true. You could do the give back first. Um, but I think the thing that keeps people stuck with giving, there's several things. But <laughs> one of them is not necessarily knowing like what you really care about mm-hmm. that you want to give funds to. And so what I typically say is like you don't have to be married to a cause. You don't have to be married to an organization. Just start like it's by the process and practice of giving where you actually get clear on where you want that money to go and what you want it to do in the world. So I think being clear on the culture, being verbal about that culture, and then putting some money behind it is a really great way of making a larger impact in the world. Yeah, I love it. That is a piece that we have kept from from just working with you. And uh, it resonated so well. It was something we had built into the business from the beginning, but we didn't really built it in. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you helped us actually like put a number behind it and go, let's make categories and buckets, et cetera. And so we have that built in now. And it's, it's a neat thing to be able to say, no, we have money. We have money for that. Yeah. We want to give to that. And here's the money, you know, to do it. Well, the thing I love about the 2% pledge too, is that that 2% gets to grow with you. Like as the company earns more, you're able to give more. Mm -hmm. Or if the company earns less in one year, you know, you'll be giving less, but it's still 2% of your overall revenue. So I think it's something that allows you to stay constant instead of saying, I'm going to give $1,000 or $10,000 or whatever that amount is. It's a percentage works a lot better (laughs) when it comes to those things. I can get a little nerdy about percentages for that very reason. (laughs) (laughs) I love margins. (laughs) Yes, it's great because you're like, okay, that it feels, it does feel more easeful 
Mm -hmm. in that regard versus these like dollar amounts. So I love yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it'd be really motivating to like earn more too, especially like when we get our like our good, better, best goals out there. <clears throat> we can really see how that 2% grows over time. Mm -hmm. So that can be really motivating to, if that's like a huge money motivator for you, you know. And that's a tool that you're offering. Yes, right? yes. So Good, Better, Best Goals was really the foundation for me making those structural shifts that I did in 2018. Um, because up until that point, I've been chasing after, you know, this random revenue goal that people were saying, this is how much money you need in order to have a successful business. And I kept on pursuing that and failing miserably at it, by the way. <laughs> so um, when I was getting ready to go into maternity leave, I really had to get clear of like, how much money do I really need to earn in order to feel financially supported? So I don't stress about things. And that really allowed me to calculate what I call my good goal, because if I could get that money, reach that milestone, I was good, I was covered. And then I asked myself, well, if I could do that, then what would come next? And then that became my better goal. And if I could do that, then what? And that became my best goal. And so good, better, best really became just these beautiful milestones that were really personally meaningful and relevant to me and my family. And it's so incredibly motivating. And so now good, better, best goals is what I help people create for themselves and their businesses. And then also weaving in the magic of profit first, which is all around understanding your margin. So if this is how much you want to make personally, how much does the business need to make in order to ensure that you're getting paid, your taxes are getting paid, the business has what it needs, your team has what it needs and all of those other things. So um, Good, Better, Best Goals is a really short mini course to help you get some foundational financial clarity and set really personal, meaningful money goals for yourself. Awesome. So, and then we chatted about this before, but we'll make sure there's a link available. Yeah, definitely go and check it out. Connect mm -hmm. with you on that. And what's the best way for someone to connect? We'll put it in the show notes. Is it through your website, email, social media? What's kind of your preferred someone wants to reach out? Definitely my website would be the best way. Social media, I sometimes I'm on social media, sometimes I'm not. I do a lot of my marketing just through emails. So if you want to stay in touch, definitely get on my email list, which you would go to the website to do. Yes, and I highly recommend getting on the email list. I get your emails, and um, every once in a while, I'll respond back with something <laughs> once every couple months, but I do read them, and they're they're great. I enjoy getting those emails. So Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on today. Of course. Thanks for having me. And talking about money. Oh, yeah. It's, I think it's great. It's my fave. I think there's a lot of taboo about it, and I think the more we talk about it, the more we shift how we think about it, how we feel about it, how we approach it, stepping into more of it all of those things. Absolutely. Thanks again. Yeah. Riding Tandem is recorded on location at the studios on South 4th in Council Bluffs, Iowa, in cooperation with Todd Studer Productions. 